Hello and welcome to Strat News Global. A year and a half since the COVID-19 pandemic broke, there's little clarity on how the virus originated, though several hypotheses are doing the rounds. And to talk more about it, we have Dr. Tun Hoos Lee, Professor of Virology Emeritus, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He has also done a lot of research on the HIV envelope, which is similar to the spike protein of the coronavirus. I am Subrat Nanda. Professor Lee, welcome to the program. You're welcome. What are the various hypotheses regarding the origin of the virus? Uh, simply put, there are two views, two major views. One is this virus is transmitted from a natural host directly or indirectly to human. So that's theory number one. And theory number two is this is the uh, virus that leak from a laboratory. And the laboratory people focus on is the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China. The view that the virus leaked from a lab in Wuhan was initially dismissed as a conspiracy theory, but of late, it has gained traction. What has changed? Well, I think there are two possibilities and complementary possibilities. One is the dislike or the hatred toward former President Donald Trump. So the conspiracy theory is a theory that's pretty much against Trump. And basically, whatever President Trump said was regarded as non-credible and non-scientific. I'm just using this as a broad stroke. Okay. So it has a political element in there. And it's more political element than scientific element. On top of that, there are scientists who subscribe to the view that there's no evidence for um, the virus leak. Okay. Now, what has changed? I think at the near the end of the last administration, there were more data, intelligence data that was released or that was revealed. It must be for some reason the U.S. was reluctant to reveal all the information. And I, my speculation is that they don't want to compromise the source of the information. Now, more information has come out lately. And I think Biden administration was probably fed up by China's resistance to reveal more information, to be more cooperative. And worse than that, they even accuse the United States of being the actor that who created this virus. And I suspect those are the reasons that Biden, President Biden would say, okay, let's examine this intelligence yeah, report more closely. And he gave a 90 days uh, a time frame to do that. And I don't suspect that U.S. has a capacity to suck up a lot of information globally. Yeah. So it's just a matter of sorting through those information, whether they're human-based or they're other means of intelligence gathering. Obviously, one of the commonly cited information was 
the three WIV, the Wuhan Institute Virology Laboratory personnel, got sick um, in November, and they were hospitalized for having the COVID-like symptoms. So these, uh, I think this has changed in part was due to China's lack of desire or lack of transparency to, to share the information to help solve this problem. How, credi- how credible is the WHO fact-finding team's report that a natural origin is very likely and the lab theory is extremely unlikely, given that no raw data was shared with them and they got the data that was aggregated by their Chinese hosts? Well, WHO fact-finding team clearly was limited in terms of what they could see, who they can talk to, what data available to them. So under those circumstances, it would be very difficult for anybody, WHO's team or not, to come to a very definitive conclusion. So at most, they can say very likely, but they really cannot rule out these other possibilities, particularly the one that linked to laboratory accident or, you know, or deliberate effort of making this virus, which I don't believe was the case. Okay? But the fact that they don't have all the data, so that fact-finding report, the validity of the report obviously has its as limitation. That China was selective in sharing information, doesn't it raise questions? It, it certainly does. I think when you are dealing with the CCP type of a government or that kind of political system, we see problems that spill over to the public health arena. A very simple example is Li Wenliang, the doctor who was a whistleblower, and he was only blowing the whistle among his medical school classmates informed them to be careful. And this kind of activity, and he was sanctioned, he was he was penalized, he was intimidated, and not only him. So when something of this nature will be handled this way, it tells you the system has problem. Okay. Now what happened now is you have well now Dr. Lee passed away and he was now held as a, as a hero, perhaps because of populist dissent and the pressure make that to be that way. But what happened to other whistleblowers? They disappeared. They were actually you know, detained, sent somewhere. They're nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. I would argue not until those other civilian whistleblowers Receive the same type of treatment as Dr. Lee, I don't think China has matured enough to reveal all the facts. Okay? I think the system really has a problem. The local government, I don't believe that China's central government, CDC, Dr. Gao or others, these technocrats, scientific people, they are interested in hiding the data. So, but the lower level people in the Wuhan, they have no idea what the upper-level people 
how they will react, how the upper level people will react. If I tell people we suspect there's something happening, what happened? They had to guess. So this is not a public house. This is not a way that you deal with disease surveillance. So supposedly, based on the report, those information never went up to the central government. Or when it got to the central government, it was quite late. So all these just tell you that there is a problem in that system. So under the system, you can see the whole thing evolving. As of today, the government position is we did nothing wrong. You prove us innocent and go ahead and check your own house. And so they're not interested in really finding out the source. The virus started, the epidemic started locally in Wuhan. That's clear, crystally clear. And the first epidemic there, and this is yeah, pretty much a repeat of the original SARS story, 2203, except that virus is just not as contagious as this one. So that was a locally sort of limiting some geographic area locally and didn't spread very much. Later on, the MERS, pretty much the same thing. But this time, it's a very different virus. So China really needs to reform its political system. You have this very top-down, what I say counts, and lay a lot of people guessing what the thinking of the upstairs people. And this is a very unhealthy system for control of infectious diseases at the very minimum. Now there are calls for a transparent probe. Given that so much time has passed, wouldn't the trail of any possible mischief have gone cold? Well, that all depends on what information will be helpful in um, finding the origin of this virus. Let me say that I am a subscriber of the theory, this is a laboratory accident. And I want to say that the, despite the, a lot of criticism about the gain-of-function study, I myself think that gain-of-function study can be a legitimate study, legitimate scientific inquiry. We need to know what determinants help a virus jump from species to one species to another one and to human. Okay, knowing that certainly will help disease prevention, vaccine, treatment, et cetera. So it can be a legitimate investigation, but to conduct those studies, you need to do it in an environment, in a setting, in a political system, where transparency, follow the rule of law, are encouraged, okay, are required. They are biosafety rules, okay. It's not easy to work with coronavirus, this type of coronavirus. Just imagine you had to wear those suits in a biosafety for laboratory. Nobody would like that. Like nobody would do that, and no, a lot of people would try to skirt the rules to do that. It's just you know, natural. And then before you know how infectious this can be, if you're handling DNA, you think that's no big deal. I'm just doing all this work. But things can happen. So I think my view is 
their study done and the slop, the work was done sloppy. It wasn't following strictly the safety rules. And US has sanctioned on that part. So there is a record that laboratory, uh, one institute of virology has issued following biosafety rules. And I am in particularly focusing this something called furing cleavicide. Okay. I don't want to get into a lot of detail on this one, but among the SARS family of coronavirus, SARS, the one that causing COVID-19 is the only one having the furin cleavicide. This is created by an insertion of full amino acid, and that is 12 nucleotide between the S1 and S2 junction of the spike protein. This furin cleavicide is a very important part for this virus to replicate. Okay. So now some would argue there are others, coronaviruses have furin cleavicide. And I it came to mind three publications, and there are more. And most of these, I would say one was actually publishing. June of 2020 in current biology, they're talking about a virus called RMYNO2. Now, that paper was very careful. Let's forget about how the virus was, that sequence was generated. That itself has some issue, but one can understand it's difficult to collect virus from the bat. They collect the, you know, species, urine, and feces and urines, and then put them together. And you really cannot sort it out very easily about whether this is a virus coming from which bat or which animal. But forget about all that. The argument that the author actually didn't say, look, this virus that we find has a furin cleavicide. They were only able to go as far as saying that there can be insertions between S1 and S2. In other words, they're laying the groundwork to say, hey, we have a virus. It's not a coronavirus, cannot have the furin cleavicide. We find virus that there are some amino acids that are inserted there. I have one issue with that. Number one, is that a truly furin cleavicide? I don't think so. They didn't prove it, and that's already a big problem. So you're talking a different story here about, about that. Then there's Another paper in January 2021, and this one was talking about feeling cleavicide occur naturally, in, and they talk about a Zhejiang virus 2013, even talk about MERS who has that. Those are not, they just show sequence comparison and see if there's some insertion, show one residue of positive charge residue, arginine. Those are not definitive and not convincing. Number one, they back those canonical furin cleavicide sequence. Number two, there's absolutely no proof that those are indeed furin cleavicide. So sequence is not quite right. The functionally, whether those furin cleavicide are not right. So I think those are somewhat misinformation. And but I'm I'm happy to grant the authors and the of the investigator reporting those as that's their true true understanding. Last, lately in March 20, 
2021, there was another paper pre-publication talk about identifying novel viruses, et cetera, and uh, normal bad viruses. And again, the argument is there are some, you know, there are some viruses that you can have this uh, fear and side. And again, those are not very convincing. You really need, if you want to call something fear and side, and in a very legitimate way, one need to prove those are fear and side by some sort of functional assay, chemical assay, biochemical study. And short of that, you at least have to have a sequence matching, matching those canonical fear and cleave side sequence, and they don't have, most of the publication doesn't have that. So from the virology standpoint, just on this standpoint, there's really a big mystery about why only this virus, and I should add, the closest virus to this SARS-CoV-2 is a virus called BAT, B-A-C-O-V, R-A-T-G-13. That one reported has 96 to 97% homology with the SARS-CoV-2. Yet, this virus has no furing cleavicide. It lacks those four amino acids between S1 and S2. So to me, this is a very, very curious, very, very mysterious one. Nobody has found this kind of virus from a natural host. So, yes, if China are willing to let people examine the laboratory book, laboratory note, what are the reagents used, what are the reagents saved, what experiment, what experiment have been done, they're willing to share the information about who was sick during those time and what you know, their medical records. A lot of things can be, you know, we, we can easily know more information. Now, is a laboratory accident a crime? It's not good, but it's not something that I don't believe China deliberately created this virus as a bioweapon. I don't think it's easy to design, to choose those four amino acids and put into the virus and say, okay, we are going to make a virus that is going to hit everybody, including hitting Chinese population. I don't think so. And so uh, an accident can happen. Laboratory contamination in a virology laboratory happen all the time and everywhere. Okay, So admitting a mistake is not something so difficult. Yes, you, this mistake affects a lot of people. And, but the fact that such a gigantic you know, outcome is actually is a cause for people to even work harder to find the origin and to find how to prevent it from happening again. Now to point a finger to other people say, it's your house that has a problem. It's a very bad reflection, in my opinion, on Chinese government. And I very, very much hope that China, for its own sake, will change. Change the style of government, change the style of accusing other people creating this virus without thoroughly providing information to share with the whole world and to either prove nothing happened there or to prove or to help understanding how this thing happened. On that note, Professor Lee, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome.